Hey, this is Paul Doherty. I'm the pastor of Victory Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. I hope this message inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it reminds you that God is not finished with you yet, and your best days are right in front of you. Enjoy the message. I am preaching on grace this morning. We welcome those that are watching online all over the world. We're so honored that you tuned in with us. We have been in our series, St. Paul, and this was a guy that really was not following after God. He was very legalistic. He was all about the rules and all about, you know, the law. And then all of a sudden, he had this revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And today, we're going to dive into one of the most, I think, essential, important truths of Christianity ever. In fact, you can't be a Christian without this, and that is grace. And so the title of this message is Discovering Grace. If you're taking notes, you can just write this down, Discovering Grace, because when this happens in our lives, everything changes. God did not intend for us to live a Christian life without grace. You cannot live the Christian life without grace. Now, when I say grace, people start to kind of go, well, what kind of grace are we talking about? Especially in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there's been all kinds of different teachings on grace. Some people have taken it very radical as if, you know, it covers us to do whatever we want to do and you can kind of live free and everything's grace, baby, you know. And then there's this other side, a group of people that have really distorted the idea of grace and, and have taken away the idea of, of God's unmerited favor in their life, and, and it's some sort of earning. And so I want us just to look real quick at the definition of grace before we dive into this message. By the way, grace is not a topic. Grace is a person, Jesus Christ. He is grace. So when you see the word grace, just imagine Jesus, the way he lived his life. He embodied grace. Grace is to show unmerited favor, unmerited kindness, undeserving love, undeserving forgiveness, a gift, and by the way, it's not a gift you buy, it's a gift you receive, so it means someone else paid the price for it, you just get to receive it, and grace is empowerment. Now, if you have a Bible, go to John chapter 1, verse 17, you can make some noise this morning. Yes, grace, grace, grace. John chapter 1, verse 17 John was a follower of Jesus. He wrote the book of John, and he was called the beloved disciple, John the beloved. He's the one that named himself that, which I think is pretty awesome. He just really felt loved. He thought Jesus, you know, loved him the most, that he was Jesus' favorite. And there's a part of me that's like, man, if I was writing a book, I'd want to say that too, that I'm the beloved one. I'm the, I'm the loved one. You're like, come on, man. He loves all of us. He does. But John had a revelation of God's love. And he says this, the law was given through Moses. How many of y'all remember Ten Commandments, the movie, right? All right. So now, now, Ten Commandments, that was from Moses. Moses showed up uh, right after the Israelites had been delivered from the slavery in Egypt. God gives the law through Moses. Ten Commandments, but not just Ten Commandments. In fact, there were 600 plus commandments that came with the law. It had everything to do with, you know, how you do your hair, the clothes that you wear. There was a lot of rules. Now, the top 10 were the ones that, you know, were most important to the Israelites, right? Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, don't commit adultery, have no other idol be, uh, in front of God. You should have no idols, have no other God before God. We know those 10 commandments. But listen, John isn't saying that Jesus did away with the law. He's saying Jesus came to bring something even greater than the law. Jesus came as a fulfillment of what the law was missing, what the law was lacking. Jesus came with grace and truth. Everybody say grace, grace. and truth. 
How do you know you're living a life without grace? Let's just think about that for a moment. How do you know you're living a Christian life without grace? Typically, it's in the mind. You're beating yourself up all the time. You never feel good enough. You never feel worthy enough. You're hard on yourself. Sometimes this happens with me, and I have to remind myself that, that it's okay. I'll, I'll even beat myself up after a sermon. I'll think, I should have said that. I wish I would have said that. Man, I'm, oh, I didn't get it right. I could just kick myself, right? That's not grace. That's, that's being hard on yourself. That's constantly judging yourself unworthy. I need some help this morning. Tony, can I get your help? I just noticed you the other. Tony, come up here. He serves at Victory Downtown. Now, recently, I was at the park with my kids, and we were on the teeter-totter. Tony, will you sit on the other side of the teeter-totter? Be careful. There's some screws sticking out. You got to sit between the screws. You sh yeah, yeah, you should be good. Just pray for us. But, you got it? You got it? There we go. Now, let's go up and down. You got it? There we go. So this is what I was doing with my kids. You know, we're going up and down. You're like, your kids are like 20 pounds and you're 200 pounds. I know. I was using my feet to kind of push myself up and Liam was on the other side, my four-year-old. And I started thinking, without grace, this is kind of how the Christian life looks. You're, some days you're worthy, other days you're not worthy. Some days you've impressed God, other days you've disappointed him. Some days you're good enough, some days you're not good enough. You're up and you're down. And you're up and you're down. Come on, let's keep going. Up and down. Up and down. Up and down. All right, I'll, I'll let you get off. Give Tony a big hand. You got the point. Praise the Lord. Everybody say up and down. That's what the Christian life looks like without grace. You're up when you feel like you've done something right, right? We've kind of reduced this idea of following God as if it's all about some days you're good and other days you're bad. And depending on what you do, that's what makes you look like in God's eyes, either good or bad. If I've been to church enough, I'm good. If I haven't been to church enough, Bad is winning, bad is up, right? If I've done the right thing, I'm good in God's eyes. I'm righteous because I've been good lately. I said the right thing, I thought the right thing, but the second I have a bad thought, oh, I'm bad. And what it does is it drives us to be performance-based Christians. And our world is all about performance. Recently, I went to Facebook on, and took this tour, and, and it was all about analytics. They were all about the numbers. How many engagements do you have? How many likes have you gotten? Are people giving you thumbs up or thumbs down or, or comments? And it was all about analytics. And if we're not careful, we take this into our relationship with God, and we think if I'm doing things right, then I'm good. If I'm doing things wrong, then I'm bad. And and it's up and down. It's, I'm on this worthiness teeter-totter. It's a worthiness teeter-totter that some days I'm worthy and other days I'm not. And on the days that I'm not, my prayers are even affected. So I'm not praying with confidence. I'm praying with this beggar mindset. Oh, God, if you even listen to sinners like me, if you do, but I know I've been a bad, bad guy. I know I deserve all the worst things. But if you're listening, I don't know if you're listening. But if you, and, and what happens is we're affected in all of our ways. We are. Grace affects you in all of your ways. It even affects the way that you're treating others. Jesus came not so that we would live in this performance-based mindset, but that we would have 100% grace and 100% truth. So when Jesus shows up, he's not just trying to make bad people good. He's trying to bring dead people 
back to life. Right? So we start out with death without Christ. But what grace does, what Jesus does, who is grace, he brings us into life. Now, you might go, yeah, give God praise that he didn't just come to make a bad guy good. He came to bring the dead people back to life. But what he also does is he gives us grace, not just at the start of our salvation, but throughout our entire salvation. And what is salvation for a second? Let's define it. Salvation is to have your sins completely paid for. Salvation is to be completely forgiven of all of your sins and to be released of the consequences, the eternal consequences of your sins. Salvation delivers you from hell, delivers you from what you deserve, delivers you from the wrath of God. Is anyone thankful to be saved? And so Jesus came bringing grace, it says, and truth. Truth tells me what to do with my life. It doesn't help me do it. It just tells me what to do. We need truth. We need truth in our society. Did you know 48% of America does not want to believe that there is any absolute truth? They say, don't, don't tell people what's right and what's wrong. Just let people decide for themselves. No one really has the handle on truth. And so what happens is we have this warped, confused society because I'm not allowed to tell you if you're a boy or a girl, you get to decide. And so people are confused with their gender. They're confused with their sexuality. They're confused with, you know, I just don't know. Maybe I'm, I was born to be this way. No, no, no. The truth is God has a plan for your life. The truth is you were not born to be addicted and a slave to, to those sins. That's good news. The Jesus represents both truth and grace. So truth shows me where to aim my life. Without truth, grace is meaningless. But without grace, truth is mean. Because if all I do is shove truth in your face, this is what you're supposed to do. This is who you're supposed to be. But I don't give you any grace. Then I'm just being a mean person. So Jesus comes with both. Both truth and grace. Look what it says in John 1 verse 14. Jesus balances it out here. It says, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full. Everybody say full. Full, full of, say it with me, grace and so grace is the beginning. But he doesn't leave us without truth. He came full, 100% grace, 100% truth. If we were a church of just 100% truth and no grace, if this was us, like we are all about the truth, we would have bouncers at the doors carding you. Did you sin this morning? Did you sin last week? You can't come in, right? You're not supposed to be. Like this is what churches are that, that don't have grace. They're so legalistic. They're so, we're going to punish you this week. We're going to do this. And it's not helping people want Christ. We need to present a church that's not just truth, but it's also grace. That's a balance of both. Now, people, churches that are just all grace and no truth, is like, I love you, you love me. Let's just do whatever we want. Da, 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 da. And it's like, just sin, you know, it's all good grace, baby. And people have no meaning to their life. There's no growth in your spiritual maturity. So you need both grace and truth. 
Now, here's how this plays out in the scriptures. In John chapter 8, verse 1, and I'm going to get to Paul, but we've got to back up. Where did Paul get this revelation of Jesus being both grace and truth? John chapter 8, verse 1, this woman is caught in the very act of adultery. In verse 3, these religious people that have studied the law, they know the Torah, they've read all of Moses' books, they follow the law, and they think that they're perfect, and they pick up these stones. And they throw this woman caught in the act of adultery at the feet of Jesus. And they say, Jesus, the law commands that we stone this woman. What do you say? And I love what Jesus does. He doesn't, grace doesn't condone your sin. But grace gets right there in the middle of your mess. Jesus bends down in the dirt where this woman has been thrown. Jesus sees a woman. He doesn't see a sinner. Jesus, when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees you. He sees you. This morning, even, even if you've sinned, even if you've missed it or blown it, he sees you. And he begins to write in the sand. We don't know what he writes, but whatever it is, it stirs up some conviction. And then he looks up at these religious people and he says, you, without any sin, get to throw the first stone. And these guys start thinking, because again, it's all about ranking. When you're living under the law, it's like, well, I haven't sinned as bad as her. I mean, yeah, I got irritated with my kid. I didn't punch him in the face. I just thought about it. <laughs> yeah, I got frustrated with my boss. I didn't cuss him out. I just kind of thought about it. Jesus said, if you've thought angry thoughts towards a person, you've sinned. If you've thought hateful, hostile thoughts towards a person... You've said, yeah, but Paul, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't do what she did. What grace does is grace levels the playing field. It puts us all at the foot of the cross in need of a savior. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard because the standard is perfection. So you go, man, well, I'm not perfect. Exactly, which is why you need grace as much as the woman caught in the act of adultery. Stop exalting yourself because you haven't sinned as bad as another person. Step out of this performance-ranked system that America has created, that Christians have created, and step into what the Bible actually says. We all fall short. So Jesus says, without, you without any sin get to throw the first stone. They all start to think about it. One by one, they start to drop their stones. Then Jesus looks at the woman. Again, Jesus is the perfect balance, the perfect balance, 100% truth, 100% grace, but he leads with grace. He looks at the woman and he says, woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Didn't even one of these guys have something over you? And she said, no, Lord, there's not one. The first thing grace does is grace allows us just to sit down for a moment and realize how blessed we are by the unmerited favor of God. Grace doesn't immediately tell you, get on the treadmill and start running. You're going to have to pay us back for what we just, you know, hooked you up with. That's how, that's how a lot of people think. I remember going with my band. We went and played a, a, a gig. This was like 10, 12 years ago in Maryland. And... Um, and we were used to getting like a hundred bucks and we would drive and just enough money to pay for gas. You're like, a hundred bucks does not cover gas from Tulsa to Maryland. I know. We were losing money as a band. <laughs> I'm serious. We were going by faith and we needed a lot. So this one church, 
blessed us in a way that I, I started crying because I said, we don't deserve this. They gave us like $4,000. And I like, yeah, I was like, what? I said, we're not even a known band. Why did you give us this? And they're like, you want us to take it back? I was like, no, but uh, I said, everywhere we've gone, it's been like 50 bucks, 100 bucks. Why would you give us this? We don't deserve this. That's the mindset of someone without grace. I don't deserve any of this goodness. And they said, we gave it because we want to bless you. We gave it because we want to help you. We believe in you. Okay, well, I promise we're going to pay you back every penny. We are going to come. I'm, once I get enough money, I'm going to pay you back for what you gave me. What? No. This is a gift. This is above and beyond. Right? So what grace does, it'll, it allows us first to sit down. Don't get on the treadmill and start running thinking you got to pay Jesus back for what he did for you. You can't pay him back. You don't have enough good deeds to pay him back for the grace of God. Just sit down. Sit down. Be humble. Just receive it. That Jesus showed up when you couldn't, and he paid the price that you couldn't pay. And he, great, when you receive grace, you start walking in more humility. Without grace, it's all me. I earned it. Me, myself, and I. Me. I did it. I was working hard. I ran fast enough. I went to church long enough. I paid my tithes. I've been doing the right thing. I forgave people. God, I deserve this. That's pride. So grace invites us into a humble life to just sit down and go, wow, it's all Jesus. He did it. All it was was my faith in him. But watch what grace does. It then opens the door. He says, where are your accusers? There's none. Then he says, now, go and sin no more. What just happened? Grace opened the door for truth. When grace leads truth, life change can happen. When grace leads truth, life change can happen. Can I tell you, I've recently talked with several different people, and, and one of them was telling me, this, this is a reoccurring situation with lots of different people. They said, I, I don't know why my child won't pick up the phone anymore when I call. And I said, well, what happened? They said, well, you know, they're just living a lifestyle that they know they shouldn't be living, and I've taught them better than this, and, and I've told them over and over and over, and I'm texting them, you know you're not living the right lifestyle. Pick up the phone. I'm trying to talk to you about this. I said, of course they're not going to pick up the phone. You're cramming truth down their throat without any grace. I said, what if you switched it up for a second? What if you led with grace? Oh, but Paul, grace, if I lead with grace, I'm condoning their sin. No, no, grace doesn't condone sin. Grace just makes truth more attractive. Grace just opens the door for someone to finally have palatable taste for truth. I don't want truth if it's being shoved down my throat with any grace. Jesus came with both. Jesus leads the woman who's caught in the act of adultery first with grace. If you want to know how do I embody both, you look at the life of Jesus. When he shows up to Zacchaeus, the first thing he doesn't say is, Zacchaeus, you've been cheating people with your money. You've been running your business without good ethics. You need to change right now, and then I'll come over to your house. No, no, no. What does Jesus do? He says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, man. I'm coming to your house. We're going to party tonight. We're going to hang out. Now, all the religious people go, hold on. Why is Jesus hanging out with sinners like Zacchaeus? Doesn't he know his business has is, is cheated all kinds of people out of their money? Jesus is leading with grace. And the second he does, Zacchaeus goes, oh, my goodness. You love me. You care about me. I'm going to pay everyone back that I've cheated. 
and I'm changing the way I do business, and I'm changing my, grace opens the door for me to change my life. It, it opens the, but if, I, if you lead with truth, if it's, it's a truth, 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 and it's like, okay, now, now we'll love you now, now that you got your act together. We're missing the point of what Jesus came to do. So Paul has this revelation. And, and as we're going there, I want you to go to Romans chapter, actually, let's go to Ephesians 2, verse 8. Ephesians 2, verse 8. He says this. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit. You can't take credit. I don't know about you, but I, I love my medals, my trophies. As a kid, I wasn't even that great at sports, but if our team won, we all got trophies. So I put my trophies up there, my medals, and I was all about, you know, I, I was legalistic. I remember one season, there was a time where I was doing things right, and my brother got into some trouble, which was a rare thing. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but, but, but he did get into some trouble every now and then. But I remember I was doing the right thing. My brother got into some trouble, and my dad used to do something. He used to make his rounds before we would all fall asleep. He'd go into, back when my sisters lived at home, before they got married, he would go into each room, and he would pray with us, talk to us. And then as my sisters got married, he would go into, you know, John's room, and then he would go into my room, and he would spend about the same amount of time praying, talking to us before we went to sleep. But there was a three-month season where John was in some trouble, and I was confused because my dad was spending a long time in John's room, and I was like, I've been the good son. Why are you spending this time with John? I have worked harder than him to be the righteous boy. I deserve more time, Dad. And that's, that's, what, that's what law people think. I deserve more. I deserve the favor of God. Why are you blessing these people when they've been in sin? This is what law people think. It's all about your works. You're on the teeter-totter of good and bad based on your works. Jesus levels the playing field with grace and truth, and he leads with grace. He leads with grace. So my dad's spending time in John's room, and I'm like, he must be correcting him. That's why, that's why he's in there so long. So I snuck out of my room a couple nights, just put my ear to the door, and I was like, I bet he's yelling at John. And I overheard him, and I was even more angry and jealous because he was like, John, I love you. You're a good boy. Your mom and I, we believe in you. You got to destiny on your life. And I was like, no, he doesn't. He's a bad boy. I'm the good son. I was crazy. The law makes you crazy. The law makes you crazy. And you know what happened? You know what happened with my brother? As my dad just was pouring grace on John during that season where he was in trouble, John naturally started moving more into the truth and he started becoming even more the man of God that God had always called him to be when we lead with grace life change happens the truth you go no they need to hear the truth first and I, I understand the world needs the truth but man they need a church that leads people with grace into truth that's why you can come to victory and belong before you believe you can you can, you can come here and you can even belong before you behave. Now some people go, oh, no. no we're not going to let anybody in here who's not behaving. Christianity is not behavior modification. Christianity is heart transformation. It's life transformation. Come on, guys. 
And you know what? It's a process. Everyone's in a process. So we come in through grace and we start to walk into the room of truth. And God begins to change our life. We don't change people's lives. God changes people's lives through the Holy Spirit. And it happens when the church embodies grace. So let's go to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Paul starts to get this revelation. He says, now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Everybody goes, ooh. And if we stop right there, people kind of get... Is he going to preach that kind of grace? Like we just get away with anything? No, no, no. This is where people get a little off balance is they pick and choose like it's a drive-thru, like the Bible. I'm just going to take the fries, the burger, take, you know, leave off the tomatoes, the lettuce, the stop. Like you got to preach the whole truth. This is not where it stops. We have found a righteousness that is apart from keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God, not through our works, but by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's true. You are righteous when you put your faith in Christ Jesus. This is true for everyone who believes. Grace is not just for good people. It's for all people. It's for all nations, all backgrounds, all kinds of sinners, all kinds of stuff you've been caught up in. No matter who we are, we get to step into it. For everyone has sinned and fallen short of of God's glorious standards. So we've all been there. Keep going. Yet God freely and graciously, this is justification. Justification. Big word, but here's what it means. It just means you've been made right. You have been justified by what Jesus has done. It is a one-time thing. It happens at salvation. You are declared and made right with God. You are declared righteous. He did this not through your good deeds, not through your church attendance, not through your Bible reading, not through your tithing, but simply through the blood of Jesus Christ that paid for our sins 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Jesus! I used to have such a works mentality. I did, I was so into works. I was condemning myself on a daily basis. I was on the teeter-totter of worthiness. Here's, can I get our drummer for a moment, wherever our drummer is, if you could come up there. I remember sitting in a message similar to this, but it was was really focused on the pace of grace. Larry Stockstill was preaching, but I remember him talking about how grace has a pace for your life. It has a rhythm, a tempo, and, and, and it really changes the way you do everything. Can you give me like a good beat? Yeah. So grace is groovy. Just groove with it. I'm grooving with grace. Come on. What's up, babe? How you doing? All right, stop for a second. Grace, grace just has a groove. It's got a nice rhythm. It's got a nice tempo. Works. It's busy, 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 busy. It's intense. It's Christian activity after activity after activity after activity to try and prove your worth to God. Let me just show you what works sounds like when you're living without grace. Give me the beat. All right, stop. I don't want to hurt myself. You're like, what is happening exactly? You think you look awesome in God's sight when you're living under the law with works, but God is looking at you and he's like, take a chill pill. Step off the treadmill. You didn't earn your salvation. Stop trying to act like you're, you're gaining your salvation every single day. <laughs> I got to catch my breath. 
But when you're living constantly under works, as if that's what makes you right with God, as if your righteousness is up and down based on your good deeds, you're going to be busy, 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 and your beat is going to be so whack, and God's going to be looking at you like, come on, can we just groove? Can I get you in a tempo and a pace? You think I'm preaching something different. Look, look what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, message version. Because people are kind of freaking out. They're getting really exhausted off of all of the religious activity. He says this, are you tired? Yes. <laughs> Worn out? Yes. Burned out on religion? Yes. Come to me. Where? But, but I've sinned. Come to me. Even when I've missed it, come to me, period. Wait, come to you when I get my act together? Come to you after I've attended church 30 times in a row? Come to you after I've done all the right things? Come to me, period. Jesus says, come, come just as you are. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Unforced rhythms of grace. Paul the Apostle had, had understood this because he was so legalistic prior to Christ. He was all law. He was all works. And when you condense a relationship with Jesus Christ to rules and regulation, you're trading a God-made covenant for some man-made concept that's always going to leave you feeling unworthy. Because you're always never going to attain the perfection that you're looking for. God's not looking for you to have a perfect performance of behavior. He's looking for you to have a surrendered heart on a daily basis. Saying, Lord, by your grace, lead me into truth. By your grace, transform my mind and my heart. You're not just into behavior modification. You are into heart transformation. So, Lord, where there's dark areas of my heart because of insecurities, because of fears, because of approval addiction, oh, God... Transform me by your grace. Paul gets this revelation of this. And so in Romans 4, he introduces all the Jews back to the guy that they all looked up to, Abraham. He says, Abraham, you know the guy you all look up to? Humanly speaking, he was the founder of the Jewish nation. And what did he discover? Discovering grace made him right with God. If his good deeds made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about but that was not God's way. You can't boast about your salvation or your righteousness. You didn't get it. You didn't earn it. The scriptures tell us Abraham believed God. God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift because it's something that they've earned. So I'm working to earn it. But people who are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. He forgives you. Grace pardons your sin, pardons your sin. I remember playing this basketball game, eighth grade. It was our championship. We were playing against Evangelistic Temple. And, um, and I was about five foot four, five foot five. I hadn't hit my growth spurt yet. And uh, Coach Wakely put me in. He said, Paul, you're going to, there was two seconds left in the game. We're down by one point. He said, Paul, you're going to throw the ball across the court because I was on the other side. And Nasoshi Azabuki is going to catch it, turn around, and do a jumper, and we're going to win the game. All you got to do is throw the ball. So I said, okay, I got this. I got this, coach. So, but I'm scared. I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it. I'm going to mess it up. 
Because when you're living with works, it's, it, you're, you're never feeling confident that you're going to get it right. You're always trying to not get it wrong. And by trying not to get it wrong, you end up getting it wrong. <laughs> so they put me behind, you know, the line. The referee starts to count. And they put the tallest dude on me, Jason Weedholder, six foot five in the eighth grade. What? He's like a foot taller than me. And he's waving his hands. And, you know, there's Luke Fears on the other side. He's been whooping us the whole game. And I'm getting frustrated. And so I'm running. And, and I launch it. And I'm like, okay. Get there to an associate. Get there. Get there to an associate. And it hits the ceiling of the gymnasium. <laughs> it falls to center court, and the buzzer goes, Brrr, and the whole team just looks at me. And I fall to my knees, and I start to cry. <laughs> It's over. I'm unworthy. I'm not good enough. My career is over. Nobody's going to have me on their basketball team anymore. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. And 30 minutes goes by. Y'all think I'm like exaggerating. This is my life. <laughs> Y'all are like, I'm going to pray for your wife and kids. I know. I'm so dramatic. I'm sorry. 30 minutes goes by. The gym is empty. And I feel this tap on my back, and I look up, and it's my dad. And I was like, you're the last one I want to see. You're perfect. <laughs> I'm, I'm a failure. And he said, come on, Polly, get up. That's what he called me, is Polly, every now and then. He said, Polly, get up. No, Dad, I'm just going to stay down here. I don't want to get up. I lost the game for us. It's the end. <laughs> it's all over. And he said, uh, he said, you'll get another shot. This isn't the end of your career. You'll get another chance. And I go, no, it's over, Dad. It's, it's all over. And, you know, I'm, I'm really discouraged. And he says, no, Paul, you'll get another shot. You'll get another chance. And he lifts me up. And he says, Paul, let's go to Pizza Hut. Oh, no, I am not worthy to go to Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut was my favorite restaurant growing up. I said, no, 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 no. I can't go into that place. I'm a loser. Only winners get to go to Pizza Hut. The winning team is going to be there, and they're going to see me, and I know I'm condemned. I'm so unworthy. I can't eat with the winners. I'm a loser. Paul, I'm taking you to Pizza Hut. No, Dad, please. I'm unworthy. Paul, we're going to Pizza Hut. <sighs> okay. You know what? He took me to Pizza Hut. He didn't yell at me. He didn't say, here's what you should have done right. Here's how you missed it. Here's how wrong you were as a basketball player. And he just sat there with me and shared a pizza. And after that time at Pizza Hut, that grace that was coming from my dad, it just stirred me. I wanted to go practice more. I wanted to go play more. Not because he told me I needed to, but there was this this grace that was stirring me up to want to become a better basketball player. Now, I know it's, that's a sports analogy, but what happens with sinners, with us who get caught in sin, Jesus stoops down. Romans 5, verse 8, while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. So he stoops down, he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lift you up with grace. And then I'm going to lead you into this life of truth. And so grace shows up. And you know what grace does? Grace makes us righteous. We're in right standing with God. Just say this with me. I am righteous. I am righteous because of what Jesus has done. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. Can I tell you today that God loves you? God loves you today. God calls you his child. God says you are righteous. You know what grace does? Grace not only covers my sin, it empowers me to live in victory in my future. In Romans 5 verse 16, it says, you know that sin that Adam committed? That sin that brought guilt upon everybody. That sin that Adam and Eve committed in the garden, it broke the fellowship between God and humanity. But just like that broke the fellowship, one man's act of righteousness, verse 17, opened the door and and rebuilt the bridge between God and man. So now grace is giving me relationship with God, friendship with God. Everybody say, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Not only that, it says that now I can reign in life over sin through Jesus Christ. I can walk in victory over sin. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I'm a slave to righteousness. Now look at Romans 6, verse 1. I'm almost done, but follow me on this. This is so rich. It's so good. We need to spend a whole, like, season on this. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that grace can give us more and more grace? No. Paul says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So grace doesn't just allow me to have a license to sin. It gives me now the power to overcome sin, to walk in the truth that God's called me to walk in. If we had time, we'd go through Romans 6, but Romans 6 starts to teach me that I'm no longer a slave to sin. When I was a slave to sin, imagine with me a house on this, on this stage, two houses, small little houses, and this is, the, this is the orphan house. This is for those who are far from God, we've rejected God, we're, we're living in sin, I'm addicted to sin, I'm a slave to sin, I'm condemned by my guilt. Anyone seen the movie Annie, Orphan Annie? Right, so I'm in this house, I'm looking out the window, it's a hard knock life for us. It's a hard knock life for us. No one cares for, right? So there I am, I'm, I'm just working as a slave to sin. And Jesus shows up and says, I want you. I wanna adopt you. I want, no one can come to the Father unless they are drawn by the Spirit of God. So Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And I say, well, what, what do I have to do to be received? What do I have to do to leave this house of sin? What do I have? Surely, I mean, I, I don't have enough money to pay to be forgiven. I've done some dirty things. I've done some wrong things. I've, you, you don't want to know. I've thought some things I shouldn't have thought. I've said things I shouldn't have said. And, and Jesus says, come, come to me, come. Come as you are. Put your faith in Jesus. Your faith in Christ is what makes you righteous, not your good deeds, lest anyone boast. So then I, I believe in Jesus, and it's not even like a five-year process which leads me into the house of righteousness. It's immediately. As soon as I believe in Jesus, I leave the house of sin, and now I'm in this house of righteousness. I am right, not because of what I've done. I'm now in right standing with God. There's a roof of righteousness over my head because I've simply put my faith in Jesus Christ. You go, okay, now, Paul, what about when you sin, though? What about, like, when you sin, that means you get kicked out of the righteousness house and you got to go back to the sinner's house because you just sinned. You got irritated with your kids. You got impatient, and impatience is just like a sin, right? So now you got to go back. You got you to gotta, you gotta get saved again. 
and you gotta wait for church to get saved again. And every week you're gonna have to get saved. That's how I lived when I was living with this unbalanced view of grace. I was a teeter-totter salvation seeker every week. I'm saved, I'm not saved. And it was the worst when I would come home and lights were on in the house and my parents had left and there was clothes on the floor because I thought the rapture happened and I got left behind. This happened every single week, I'm not even kidding. I'd be mowing the lawn and I'd hear this loud thunder in the sky and I thought Jesus had, had returned and I missed it. I'd fall to my knees, Lord, please let me go on the rapture, please, please. Because I had seen all the Left Behind movies, Revelation, Tribulation, Mark of the Beast, you name it, I saw it and I was afraid, I was afraid. So every week that my dad preached, I was getting saved. I was getting saved at Royal Rangers. I was getting saved on Wednesday nights. I was getting saved on Sunday mornings. I was getting saved every night that my dad came in my bedroom. I said, can you lead me to Christ again? I think I lost my salvation today. Y'all think it's funny, but it's true. You can grow up in church your whole life and have an unhealthy view of Jesus as if he's kicking you out of the righteous house every time you miss it. There's a word called sanctification. Sanctification is past, present, and future. Sanctification happens the moment you receive salvation, but it also happens throughout your entire life as a believer. This helped set me free because I, I, I discovered this in college. I was reading a book called Redeeming Love, and man, I just started weeping through this book. <laughs> and I started realizing even when I miss it, I didn't lose my salvation. I know it sounds so funny, but I, for the first time, felt like I was saved, legitimately saved, not because of what I had done or what I was doing, but because my faith was in Jesus. And um, sanctification is this ongoing process that you're gonna miss it as a believer. How many of you guys have, have gotten just irritated with somebody in the last five weeks, last two years? <laughs> okay. There's gonna be times where you miss it as a believer. Don't beat yourself up. Don't feel like you gotta get saved again and saved again and saved again. When you miss it, there's a word called repentance. Repentance is not penance. Repentance is a change of mind and change of the heart. So repentance is not just going down to the altar every single week, it's when you miss it, it's in that moment saying, Lord, I'm sorry I missed it there. Change my mind, change my heart. Lord, right now help me by your grace to walk in the truth most of us know what the truth is. We just need the grace now to step into the truth. Grace empowers me. So Romans 7, Paul says, I do the things that I wish I didn't do. And what I want to do, I end up not doing it. And I'm in this wretched conflict where I feel like such a dirty guy and who's gonna save me from this wretchedness? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Romans 8, he begins to unfold how to live this grace-filled, spirit-led life. There is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to live every week with condemnation and guilt. You can start living with grace. You don't have to come to church every week like you're attending God's funeral. It's just sad and just, I'm so mad and guilty. You could start walking with more joy. You could start living with more peace. You could stop feeling so anxious and stressed. Did you know grace gives you peace with God? You can have all the security systems in the world, a gated community, locks on every door, and still not have peace, still be afraid. But when you have the grace operating in your life, your life is not busy, it's not frantic, it's not anxious, it's not stressed, it's not constantly worried you're gonna miss the rapture. You're in this place of, 
oh God, thank you that you're sanctifying me. You're making me holy. You have made me holy. You're making me holy. And you will make me holy. I thank you. I've already been justified. I'm righteous. God, when I miss it, I thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. So Lord, I do repent. Change my mind. Stand to your feet this morning all over this place. The grace of God is amazing. It's unfathomable. Next week, we're going to pick up on this and and dive deeper, and I think it's going to really help some people. There's a part of this I didn't even get into, and so I won't, but I will say this. Romans 7, Paul says, living under the law is like being in a marriage that's ended. When you're in a marriage, you are you are bound to the laws of marriage. But once the marriage, let, let's say a spouse dies, that's what he says. Once a spouse dies, you're no longer bound to the laws of the marriage. They've died. You're free to be remarried and it's not counted as a sin or as adultery. You can be remarried. He says, when you're set free from sin, you're now free to live for God and not be held to the old marriage you were used to, where you were loyal to the sin that you were committed to. But what happens is some people get saved and they're still wearing the ring from the previous marriage of sin. They still feel this little bit of loyalty. I just don't want to take it off. And, you know, I just, I want to keep the number on my phone in case this isn't working out so I can go back. And what Paul says is, that's, that's over. That's dead. That's done with. You are now free to be loyal, to follow Jesus, to live for Jesus, to be free from sin, to overcome sin, to start stepping into who God's made you to be.